so good to be with you this morning. <clears throat> and, uh, um, you know, we've been talking about the Chalcedonian Creed these last few weeks. Um, Elder Foise and I uh, have been talking about what, what the Chalcedonian Creed is, um, why was it needed, why is it needed, what is it saying, what are some things that are pertinent with that, what does the, the scripture say about the Chalcedonian Creed. Um, today, we're going to conclude this series in a sense with an application. This will sound very familiar with what we've heard in the last couple of weeks, but today I want to spend some time on the application of this. How are we going to apply these things that we've been discussing? One great brief comment, but uh, something that we're going to want to keep in our minds is that the gospel is centered around Christ. The gospel is not centered around us. So in John 14, 21, actually talks about, uh, within respect to this centeredness and, and our relationship with him, it says this, the one who has and keeps my commandments, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will disclose myself to him. So that's a process. It is him who loves me. And I have an application here. I have an opportunity to participate in this. So in Scripture today, there's a couple of places with respect to framework. That is one major frame for us to remember. Another frame in this application is going to be in the Old Testament, in the book of Chronicles. So it's good to know that when we read these books that are considered ancient, we know these truths that are found in them are just as fresh today for you and me as they were when they were originally written. So with this in mind, if you have your Bibles, please turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 16. This is the other major frame with today's message. So let's do this. It's going to be a very brief hearing or very brief reading, but let's stand please for this reading of the word for today's message. Which is this, 2 Chronicles 16.9 says this, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this you have done foolishly. Therefore from now on you shall have wars. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you. Please be seated. So the FYI, uh, uh, one of the FYIs for today with this frame that I want to make sure that we bring with this verse with today's message is that it provides this perspective from the Lord and what he is doing. Remember, our hearts, we want our hearts to be loyal to him. And in doing so, he will show himself strong on our behalf. So the gospel is Christ-centered. Our hearts are loyal to him. And he will show himself strong. This is not a give and take thing, though. Please know, this is not, this is not us, uh, or I'm not trying to say, so I don't want you to hear this. I'm not trying to say, I want you to have and keep his commandments, and then and only then will he do these things. 
or if, if you show loyalty to him, then he will show himself strong. This isn't necessarily one of these if-then things that I want us to take as our application today. What I do want to take our application today is that his eyes are searching to and fro, and he will show himself strong. Okay? That's the thing that I want us to take home today. Okay? These things are going to happen. These things will happen. So here's some things that he is doing. His eyes are running to and fro. He intends to show himself strong. And he intends to do these things for those whose heart is loyal to him. So here's where we need to take some time and review from an application standpoint for the Chalcedonian crew because in order to complete this frame, I do want us to hear the rest of this perspective. Humans have done foolishly. It's happened. And because of this, this is one of those if-then statements, and because of this, at this point, humans shall have wars, conflict, will continue. So we want to know that God is, at this time, he was communicating to a specific group of people. So that's true. This is in the book of Chronicles. And if, as you continue to read, you'll find that Asa was very angry as a response to this. So there was a person that was taking this from, as an application as well. And this application was many, many years ago. But the problems that they were facing are similar to those that which we face today, correct? I think we could say that that would be correct. So we may live in a different time and a different or in are facing different challenges, but wait, that's really not true, is it? So is it true that we no longer do things foolishly? If we were to look back in those days, are we able to say as from a standpoint of mankind, boy, we have certainly... Um, we have certainly got that one accomplished. We no longer have conflicts. We no longer behave foolishly. Is it true that we no longer face wars like they did so many years ago? I think, it's, I think we know the, the answer to that. So that's the substance of today's message. So today we're going to be taking a look at this application of the Chalcedonian Creed. Or probably better put, we're going to confirm the gospel of Christ. Okay? So let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful to be here this morning. We're so glad, Lord, that you have given us your word. You've given us all these lives and these life stories for us to take hold of, to listen to, to appreciate, to learn from. But, Lord, you give us a life today to live and to appreciate and to learn from. Lord, I pray, God, that today we would learn so that we could apply that whatever it is that we get from your word, that we know how to be able to extend this to our hands, to our tongues, and to our feet, and correctly put this into our lives. Lord, that we can show you that we love you. It's a great opportunity to be able to do that, as you say in your word, the one who has and keeps, he it is who loves me. So I pray, God, that in our hearts, that we would show that to be true, and as evidenced by the things that we do. We're so thankful that you give us your Holy Spirit because without you and without your spirit, all these things are just quite impossible. And we acknowledge that all of this comes because of you and through you and for you. We're just a privileged piece of this. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
All right, so the first week we spent some time talking about the purpose of the creed by reviewing what the Bible says about the two natures of Jesus. The person, Jesus the person, who was fully divine, and Jesus the person, who was fully human. So a couple of these implications, if you guys remember, about his humanity, they include his qualifications to represent us on the cross. That was satisfactory to God. So he fully represented us on the cross. He did not cheat. He wasn't half, half God, full man, and this God overwhelmed the man and enabled him. No, he was a fully man. So when he went to the cross representing you and me, he was 100% a man. In fact, John, 1 John 2, 2 says this, says that he was, in fact, the satisfaction, or as the, as the Bible says, a propitiation for our sins. So in other words, God is satisfied, was satisfied with that representation. Okay? That's, the, that's one of the points that we've, we've spent some time with to, already. So the point here is that from God's perspective, Jesus was fully human. What did he call himself? The son of man. Many times. In fact, I, now don't quote me on this. I'm going to stop the recording for a minute. I think Jesus said he called himself the Son of Man more than he called himself the Son of God. Count it up. See if I'm right. It would be an interesting little study. So, he properly represented humankind. He died for human beings. Now, of course, the only reason that provides for you and me comfort today is knowing that we are these human beings. We are prone to human being issues. Right? Which leads me to the next point, that he can also adequately understand these human being issues that we all experience. He knows what we're going through. This fully man knows what we fully men, he knows what we're going through. I'm going to pull out of Hebrews chapter 4, 12 to 16. It says this, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the divisions of the soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. It's pretty substantial. That's the first part of this. We're going to get to the second part of this, but I wanted to take a pause. Jesus knows. He watches. He understands. He knows not only what we're doing, but he knows our intent. He understands our motivations. So here's a good exercise. I need to do this. I need to do this over and over and over again. But this is an exercise that I, I'm not telling you I have to do this. But it's something that I think we can do, and it may provide some help. How about this? How about take a piece of paper and a pencil and take an inventory of everything that you do? Or an inventory of what we say. Let's take an inventory of those things. Now, take a moment right after that, put a period beside it, put a little dash and say, what was my motivation? Where was I coming from with that? What was my purpose for that particular action? When I said that, what was I intending? When I did that, what was I trying to do? What was my intent? Do you follow that little exercise? 
Now, when you do that, when you're when you're trying to do that, don't take time to justify it. Don't get me, you know, I don't want I don't want us to get, say, well, I did this because I'm going to justify why I did it. No, don't do that. Let's be real with this. Let's let Christ be our justifier. You know what I'm saying? Let's let Christ be our justifier for a minute. Let's not justify our actions. That's not what I'm wanting to say. But what I'm, to, what I'm wanting to do is I'm wanting to pull away the justification component that we're so tempted to want to do. And instead, let's try and define what are we trying to do. What was our true intent? Are you with me? That's in application. There's more. Because something to keep in mind. He's already done that. That's what we just read. It's already happened. He's already made that definition. He's already defined your and my actions. That's already happened. That's what we just read. That's why I bring up this illustration. So in a sense, all we're trying to do is we're wanting to match up our intents and motivations to what he already knows about us, to what he knows about us, not to what we think about us. Can you agree with me on sometimes we think about ourselves a little bit differently than perhaps we should? I could go on for hours on that one about me. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but, what I, but in this exercise... Yes, it is sobering. Yes, it could be frightening. Yes, it may make us feel like we're put in our place. And it may make us feel like, oh my goodness, there's judgment to be had. That might be our next thought. Oh no, there are consequences that I'm going to experience. Ah, but wait. Let me continue in the same place in Hebrews. Verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. That's one of the things we probably would do. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. How's that for an application? How's that for the one that we go to? And when we've taken this inventory and we find within ourselves strong judgment and we go to the one who is the judge, what do we find? Grace. That's what we find. So what do we do about that? Remember, Jesus or the, the Word of God is pulling no punches his word is sharp. We just read it. It's, we're not as sharp as his word. It's not like somebody's going to come to me and I'm going to get them like the word of God will, quote, unquote, get them. Do you follow me? His word gets us, air quotes. His word gets us. I have to admit, when I say this, I have to hit the pause button. His word is written for us. So I think it's fair to say that he understands us. Amen? Let's continue to move forward to this point in the Bible. The Word of God says that Jesus, the person of God, gets us. Verse 14, seeing that we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let's hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was at all points tempted, yet without sin. So, he is fully man. He understands our weaknesses. Pause. He's fully man, and he understands our weakness. He's the perfect representation of man. He gets it. 
He always did understand, by the way. This isn't that he was coming to the planet so that he could gain understanding. No, he had understanding. He exercised his understanding. The good news is he understands us today. So, we know that. So when you're taking this inventory, don't be condemned. Just remember, the gospel is Christ-centered, not centered around you and me. Remember that. So that's how we can go to the throne boldly. Anyone ever gone to somebody and you're having a conversation with somebody and it's going to be kind of a conflict? Maybe you send, maybe they send, maybe there is a misunderstanding you're going to that person. A lot of times when you go to that person, how does that look? <laughs> when you're going to that person, if you're like me, you might be going to them, you're going to have a conversation, you're going to look at them, but inside you might be kind of cringing a little bit, kind of walking half sideways, hoping that it goes well. And so you sit and you kind of maybe hem-haw a little. You want to talk about shoes and Buckeye football. I was waiting for the effect on that one. There's not a whole lot. Uh, but but you, might, you might be a little uncomfortable. You with me? And what happens when you, when you go and maybe that relation or in that relationship, uh, you really wanted it to go well, and, and say it does. You found grace and mercy. What happens that next time you go to them? You, maybe you go a little bit more comfortably because the last time the experience was not that difficult. And that person, they know that when you went to them, they gave grace and mercy. And maybe now they might feel a little bit more of like they can go to you too. And because they know that you came to them about something, maybe they can go to you about something. And you can now have a little conversation, and it's not so uncomfortable. Maybe it's a little bit less uncomfortable. Well, let's jump to the very end here of when we go to God, how are we going to him? Are we going timidly? Are we going kind of halfway concerned, a little bit worried about what he might say or what he might do? No. He says, therefore, let us come boldly. There's some experience to be had there. There's some acknowledgement for us to understand that when he says he understands us, that's an understanding that's an amazing kind of understanding. We can actually go to his throne boldly, not timidly, not half-heartedly, whatever. You see, he doesn't nail us for our sins. He's kind of already done that. You get me? He's already nailed it. So, he doesn't do what I've done sometimes. If somebody comes to me, or I understand, if I understand that somebody has fallen, because I can fall into this temptation. Can you relate to this? Can you fall into a temptation too, that if somebody comes to you, perhaps you may feel like you want to judge that person? Can that be a temptation? That could be a temptation. Can you think of a time in your life when you, quote-unquote, properly discerned a person who sinned and you quickly gave them, quote-unquote, proper judgment as a sinner? Maybe you judged the intent of their heart. Anybody done that? Wow, that, that one nails me sometimes if I'm not careful. Do I truly want to be able to say that I had the intent, the understanding of the intent of that person across me from, with their heart? Well, I can say truly, yes, they are a sinner. I am a sinner. We both know this. 
But let's take the example of our elder brother, Jesus, who lived the perfect life, and we lived his example. If we live his example and we become more closely associated by behavior with what he does, we will find ourselves doing what he did and what he continues to do. He sympathizes with us. He fully understands us, what we're going through. He knows that life is not easy. He fully knows these temptations that we all face. So that's how we can come to the throne of grace. So when the other person, when you're going to that other person, and they actually spend time sympathizing, I'm sure they will feel more comfortable being more open. And so this is a part of that inventory thing. If we're thinking about relationships within this context, let's ask a question of ourselves. Um, am I approachable? Let's be honest. Let's think about that. Am I approachable? I want to write that down. And let me ask myself, is that something? And if, and if so, great. Are there ways that I can, things that I can say or do that might help with this? Or maybe I might find, folks aren't approaching me. Hmm, I wonder, am I approachable? It's another one of our applications today. His perfect example takes us to a place of going to where we can go to one another. And what do we find when we go to one another? Grace and mercy and help. Grace, mercy, and help. So if somebody's coming to me, if there's something going on, if I were to live and do perhaps what more of what Jesus would do, I would probably have in my head, grace, mercy, help. Maybe I should think about whatever these circumstances are in that context. So we're not going to a place of finding judgment. So It's good to know that he doesn't blame us. But here's the other part. This is the other part. He did not blame us, and he did not judge us, but he actually took the responsibility for what we did. So he didn't ignore and say, oh, that's okay, no big deal. No, he actually made it right. You follow that? That's one of the other things that's easy to do is if somebody comes to me and I go, oh, that's okay, and we just blow it off and never deal with it, I don't you know, think that that's the example that Jesus would have for us as well. Because he made it right. Now, he took that responsibility. So when I'm being approached, perhaps a person is needing me also to take some responsibility. That makes sense? And when I'm going to somebody, even the Bible says, if I'm going to go to somebody, I need to take responsibility too. What does Scripture say? Consider yourself when you're going. Why? Well, because we need to own responsibility as well. Forgiveness, pardon me, forgiveness does not mean that we are forsaking responsibility. You know, you know what I'm saying? It's not saying that. We can own our responsibility and live with one another within the context of mercy and grace and yet be entirely responsible one to, a per, one to another, fully accountable one to another. That, that is, um, I, I don't want us to hear that forgiveness equals we now drop it and never deal with it. Now, if it's something that we can both agree to, that, hey, it stops here, you said this, I misunderstood, whatever, and it's taken care of there, fine. But it's not that it's being dropped, it's that it was being taken care of. Okay? So our high priest took, our or took the responsibility for us on the cross. So these are a part of these points of the application. 
So, and know this too, that when you're doing this, or when we are doing this, we are more closely matching the heart of Jesus. He clearly states what he's going to do. So let's realize that where his heart is, now this is probably an obvious statement, when, he, when Jesus is doing the will of God, he wants to do the will of God. Because when Jesus is doing the will of God, he wants to do the will of God. Jesus' heart is in it. Do you know what I'm saying? So we get the phrase, put your heart into your work. Um, you've probably heard that. Maybe he didn't get it done because his heart wasn't in it. You guys familiar with that phrase? I think there are probably 1,874 examples that I can share with you, perhaps, of me where maybe my heart wasn't in something, and maybe something did not get done like it should have been done. My heart wasn't in it. Well, I can say for sure, when Jesus lived here on earth, his heart was in it. I, I think if we're going to more closely match with Jesus, I think maybe we could put our hearts into it more too. I'm talking about me, but I'm saying, hey, this is, a, this is an us thing. I think it's for all of us. <clears throat> I'm going to review this verse in Second Chronicles. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. That's what we read. He will show himself strong to those whose heart is in this, whose heart is into this. So uh, it, here's our application. If we're, if we're putting our heart into, their, into this, then truly give mercy and grace to your brothers and sisters. Give mercy and grace to mom and dad. Give mercy and grace to your son and daughters. Put your heart into this. Give them help during their time of need. Give that to them. God will in turn show himself strong on your and my behalf. That's what we're pulling out of this. Can you think of a time maybe when somebody came to you and they needed some help and you were able to give them some help? How'd that feel? It felt good, didn't it? And when maybe you went to somebody and you needed some help and they gave you that help, how'd that feel? It felt relieving. Isn't it great to be able to have a moment of conflict? And when you walk away from it, one guy feels good and the other guy feels relieved? Wow, that's great. That's great. Boy, I wonder how Jesus feels. He's got to feel pretty good. So, that's the human. That's our high priest. So let's think about the couple of implications, if we will, about him. I said implications. I mean implications and applications. But of him not only being human, but of being divine. Let's think about an application or two of that. One, I'm sorry, implications. We'll get to the application in a minute. One, he's actually, truly, not only qualified as a person, but he's actually strong and able enough to pull this off. He actually could go to the cross, take that responsibility that we've talked about for your and my sin. He could actually die on the cross and, and literally work, and it literally work on our behalf. It actually will work. It's not like some guy who says, I'm going to do this for you, and it actually not be the right guy, or it actually he can't have the, or he doesn't have the strength to pull this off. He actually did have the strength to pull this off. I don't want us to take this for granted. Because what if he wanted to die on the cross and live a, sin, a sinless life, but what if he wasn't fully God, and he wasn't able to raise from the dead? Have you ever thought about that for a minute? What would it be like if 
Jesus went to the cross and said, I'm going to do all these things, and he did a wonderful job, but he didn't have the strength to pull it off. He, made, he would have even made the promise, if you remember, tear this temple down, and in three days I will rebuild it. And he wanted to with all of his might, but he just couldn't do it. He couldn't accomplish it. What would that be like? So we've got to know that if you're just a guy, like we talked about a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, with these great intentions, but was limited and just didn't know it, maybe he didn't know he was limited, that'd be horrible. We would be horribly misled and we would be in a very pitiable place, pitiful place. I'm going to pull, in, or pull out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which says this, verses 12 to 19. It says, Now if Christ is preached that he had been raised from the dead, how some among you say that there is no, no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no, no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not risen. And if Christ has not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, of whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ has not risen. And if Christ has not risen, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then also... All those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life we only have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. If Christ is not risen, then we are all dead in our sins. We are horribly misled, worth pity of everyone that we live, because we live for a life that will never come, if that were the case. But what do we do about this? Well, let's acknowledge and remember, he actually is God. Holy man, he actually is God. And he properly died. And he actually rose again. That was a clapping moment. Oh. <laughs> he actually did pull it off. Jesus actually did accomplish this. So the second half of that verse that we're talking about from the beginning... For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this you have done foolishly, therefore from now on you shall have wars. He is actually strong. He pulled it off. He made it happen. So let's be clear. The last piece of this, part, this, this verse, yes, he's pulled this off. At that point, we could just simply go, wow, what a relief. Let's live a wonderful life now. Let's live for him. Let's remember about the, the gospel message. But what happened, if you know, they're like me, they forget. And as a, as a consequence or as a rule, they, they faded away. And he has said, in this you have done foolishly. That's what he said. And from now on you shall have wars. So it needs to be clear. We are inclined to behave foolishly. As a result, we will continue to have conflict. That's an inclination. I don't know of too many parents that have to turn to their children and say, listen, you're behaving too wisely. I need you to, I need you to behave more foolishly. I don't know if in, you know, that training is there that, listen, you've been listening and doing everything that mom and dad say every time. Every now and then you need to not do what we say. Every now and then, you know, and then eventually we'll get to where you can do a little bit more and a little bit more, and then eventually you won't be doing anything that we say. That's our goal. 
All right, so we obviously know the opposite is true. We're working, we're working to um, not be foolish. So our nat natural inclination is really to need mercy and grace. So it's likely we'll behave like sinners, that we'll, go, we'll need to go to their high priest as well as, as ours. So remembering this, when we do sin, we are improperly elevating our ways above his ways. So we need to know that we are sinning and have continued to sin. And in so doing, the gospel of Christ, so many times, is not Christ-centered, it's me-centered. That's when I'm sinning. Okay? So, don't go back and try to save yourself. Don't do it. That's the responsibility that's been resolved, that's been properly taken care of. It's an obvious statement, but we need to know this all the time. We need, to, we need to realize that we want the responsibility. We're going to try to elevate our ways above his ways. And we're going to try and help to pay for our sins. Or perhaps um, behave in such a way even with these relationships that we can represent ourselves a little bit more than represent Christ. That's our temptation. So if that's the case, then let's, let's try to apply this. Let's try to give an application to this as well. So um, I'm going to assume that everybody here has washed their hair within the last week or so, or beard, you know. Uh, I know. So anyway, we've all used shampoo. What is it? What do the instructions say? Rinse, lather, repeat. Have you ever had one of these moments? I heard a comedian talk about this once. He's like, I'm sorry I'm late. I just got stuck in these instructions. I was rinsing, lather, and then I had to repeat. And had to rinse, lather, and I had to repeat. Then I had to rinse, lather. He went on and on. It got funny. Not like this, but you know. <laughs> it's pretty good. Well, for this, uh, four things. Review, remind and relate, repent, and then repeat. A little bit of the application of our tendency. Okay? So, review the truth of God's Word. Remember, we need to continually put the words of the Bible in our minds. We simply just need to read it. It's not a complicated principle. So find the time. It is there. We only need to make it a priority. Agreed? Read it. Review the truth of God's word. Next, remind and relate ourselves of these truths within the framework of our lives and how we relate to others. Most importantly, how we relate to our Savior. Ask some questions. Am I living out what I know to be true? Think about that inventory that we're talking about. Remember that. Do I realize when I elevate my ways over these truths? Am I realizing at times when I'm not associating with what I should be doing according to his word with my actual um, behaviors? Do I realize that? Next, repent. So we all know that we continue to need to go to the person of Jesus and change our mind again and again and again. If you're like me, there are a lot of examples here. I'm uh, no longer 15 years old. I'm no longer 25 or 35 or 45. I'm just going to stop there. I still need to repent so many times. I still need to change my mind. So many times. I need to. Repenting is an exercise. 
Repenting is something that we do. We review with the Word of God. We relate our behaviors with the Word of God. It will lead us to a place to say, I need to repent. And then what? Repeat. Do it again. Do it again. When our con convictions don't match our behavior, we need to know that we have a wrong belief somewhere. It starts with what we know. That's why you need to get back to the Word of God. We have a wrong belief somewhere, and we need to review this. We've got to remind ourselves of these behaviors and understand, what am I truly believing here? Because I've got a wrong thinking. I've got a wrong way of thinking. What am I truly believing here? And when we do this, we need to understand all this is happening with the mercy and grace of God. We need a Savior that drives us to him all the time. I think as, as we kind of think through these processes, he will become more and more important to us with this. You follow me with what I'm saying? I will become less and less important in this regard. My heart will be more and more his with this. It needs to be. That's, that's this whole process. It's easy for us to kind of fall away. And keep in mind, there are churches all over the place that, uh, that will struggle with some of these things. There, in fact, um, I don't know if anybody's read the book of Galatians here recently, uh, but that's a correctional verse, or that's a correctional um, epistle. The folks in Galatia had, had been falling away from the gospel of Christ. They were taking the gospel of Christ, and they were trying to morph it and put themselves kind of in that. They were trying to do some things. And, and Paul was saying, whoa, whoa, this is not Christ-centered. This is you-centered. This is sinful. This is a problem. He even said, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Remember John 14, we said, the one who has and keeps my commandments, he it is who loves me. You should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ has clearly portrayed or portrayed among you as crucified. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Remember in Chronicles it talks about behaving foolishly? Are, are we foolish sometimes, having begun in the Spirit, we're now trying to perfect this in the flesh? Don't fall into a pitfall of a self-help thing. Okay, please don't think I'm going to improve myself. That's not what I'm saying. So if you're hearing this today and you want to go find top ten things for me to do to be a better person, please don't take from this message that. We need Christ. We need our high priest. Yes, we need to review and match up our behaviors to the word of God. We need to do that. We need to remember that. So, in this case, the church was forgetting the truth. They were not obeying the truth. They were not remembering and relating. They were not repenting to their Savior, the one who was crucified. Remember the responsibility was nailed on the, on the cross. Remember that they were not repenting of their sins. They were trying to elevate their ways above his. This is what this was talking about when, when Paul was saying they were trying to be made perfect in the flesh. Do not, please, do not try to be perfect in the flesh. This, this will not get us there. It's easy to do. So instead, let's go to our high priest. He gets it. 
Right? He gets us. We get it? We get it. So I'm going to say this one last time. So I'm getting ready to close here. So I'm talking about how we treat the Bible. So review the Bible. Put it simply, read it. Place it into our heart. Remind and relate ourselves to what it says. Do that with all your heart. Simply put, just do what it says. Ask yourself, what and why am I doing what I'm doing? Take that little inventory and find those areas where it's not matching up. Well, then repent. Repent and change to what you learn. Know when your ways do not match what's written here. Just understand that. Do that with all your heart. Do that. He will reveal these things to you. He will show himself strong in your life. That makes sense? And then repeat. Repeat this. Do it again. Be faithful here. Do it with your whole heart. He knows, actually, already, when you do. Our Savior and our High Priest, his eyes have been looking to and fro all over. And they have found you. His eyes have found you. They have rested on you. His eyes have rested on you. You've been found. Our great Savior has done that. And, and by doing, he will continue to be your and my strength. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. That's our application today. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. <clears throat> I thank you, God, for your Holy Spirit. I thank you, God, for Jesus Christ. Lord, you, Father, have done it all. And we just wish to be thankful. And so I pray that um, as we continue to live our lives, as we continue to learn and grow, we know, Lord, how this happens. Because you tell us in your word that you are in the process of conforming us. Wow, what a privilege to know that God Almighty is doing a work in our lives. And when you reveal things to us, Lord, we can realize it, number one, and then we can repent. And then we can do our level best to try and make it right, but we can put our heart into it, knowing, Lord, that when we are doing that, we are being more and more like you every day because you're the one who put your great heart into our lives. And so I pray, God, that we would uh, own that and take that this week and maybe this month and then from here forward and apply this to our lives within our families and within our relationships, knowing, God, that our high priest is with us every single step of the way. So we thank you for that. We pray, God, uh, for your blessings on the rest of our day, too. Lord, might we... Um, just enjoy the refreshment of this, your day, that you've made for us. It's so good to be able to take a rest, Lord, that you have given it. You've made it for us. So I'm, I'm glad for the rest of this time to be able to be together with you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.